Welcome to For Instance Podcast, the tech podcast where we spin out endless supposals about cloud, AI, the edge, and more. We sift through current events, opine about what it means for practitioners and leaders, and interview industry observers about where different technologies are taking us. If you like digging into the story behind the story in tech, this podcast is for you. Hey folks, welcome to the second episode of For Instance Podcast. I'm here with Sarah Music. Hey Sarah. Hey Sarbjeet. How was the week? It was it it was good. We're on our on our way. All right. So in today's episode, we're going to cover a bunch of earnings, some news, and couple of ideas which will pertain to the news we'll talk about. There will be very contextual topics to current things we'll talk about from last two weeks. With that said, Sarah, what's the biggest news from your side, from earning, earnings side? Let's cover earnings first. Okay, earnings first. So, you know, there's a lot that came out with Equinix and Qualcomm and Amazon and Intel and AMD. So there was quite a bit from the earnings side of things. So from the Silicon side of things, you know, we talked a little bit about TSMC last week and, you know, kind of the fab challenges they're having in Chandler, sort of interesting story to follow, especially with some of the supply chain stuff that's been going on. Um, So Intel and AMD both released their earnings in the, in the past two weeks and some interesting stuff to follow Intel, you know, coming into the beginning of the year and coming into this quarter uh, was kind of hurting. And uh, there were some signs of life, especially from CEO Pat Gelsinger and um, CFO Dave Zinsner. Uh, but some some interesting uh, action. So, you know, from a cash flow perspective, uh, they had over $3 billion in free cash flow. So they're starting to do a good job of managing the cash situation. Uh, one quarter doesn't make a trend. So you know, we have to bear that in mind, but uh, some signs of life. Client uh, is down 12%, but that's not as much as it's been in previous quarters, especially given some of the, the headwinds. Um, data center down 15%. Intel Foundry Services, on the other hand, and they announced a couple big partnerships, um, is up 307%. So from a Foundry perspective, Intel seems to be sort of sharpening their pencils. Um, and they mentioned the five nodes in four years uh, track that they're on is is gaining steam in that there's a lot of interest for their for their 18A tech. So uh, a lot that's promising there, especially because they're they're saying that their gross margin is going to go up a fair bit going into Q3. So I think that will be a bellwether that everybody will want to watch. Um, AMD came out with, uh, you know, I would say a pretty solid quarter. Their embeddeds look the best, with uh, which is up 16% year over year. So, you know, things like automotive, you know, in particular, their partnership with Tesla, you know, gross margin at 46%, you know, pretty solid. Uh, the, the big surprise here was their client numbers, uh, which is down 54% year on year. So, you know, Intel being down about 12%, AMD being down 54%. One analyst I read uh, said, you know, maybe they're doing this on purpose. Are they, you know, potentially making an intentional pivot away from client? I don't think that's the case. Um, But I think, 
given some of the energy around wanting to catch the AI wave, um, you know, the client, the client piece may not seem as, as immediate to them, but, uh, that was something that I think caused their stock price, you know, for the next few days after that, not to perform quite as well as it might've otherwise, but, uh, you know, I think we're watching an active jockeying that's that's entertaining. It should be continue to be really interesting for folks. What do you think? True. Yeah. Actually, Intel's pivot is in progress. So that's how I see it. Um, Pat is a great leader. We I know him uh, from VMware side a lot that's more right. than prior to that. He was at Intel earlier as well. Um, he's very active, charismatic leader. Um, I. I hope he will pull it off. And also, I think Intel is U.S.'s main or only hope to have foundry business in U.S. U.S. wants to do uh, to be self-reliant, right? Uh, and chips, okay. uh, especially the cutting-edge chips, and Intel getting into foundry business. I think that's that's great. It it works to their advantage. And also, uh, I mean, of course, there's Chips Act, and they will benefit from that, and and some foreign companies will benefit from that as well, as mm-hmm. as soon as they put the plants here. For sure. But I think they will benefit less than Intel. Um, it's it's a long game. It's a long game. It's a long pivot, and I think agreed. Investors and you know, mainly investors here have to be patient with Intel, and and some are actually some are betting on. Some are. Yeah. And I think from a public perception perspective, AMD has the edge, you know, more recently they've performed in, you know, Wall Street likes stocks with a long tail. And by that, I mean, if you're in the challenger position and the market share that you have is a a minority share and you're eating into somebody else's share, they reward that uh, for extended periods of time. And so it's really at this point, I think up to Intel to, Kind of start pushing back and so i think q3 in that sense is going to be really key for both companies i think um the embedded will be intriguing to watch for amd because you know to be up 16 percent in this climate for that business is really is really intriguing for sure definitely in the earning context you're you're spot on but i'm talking about the overall at macro level and, and greater sort of timeline wise um amd doesn't have fab and nvidia doesn't have fab of their own right i usually say the fabulous country cannot be fabulous country so so yeah interesting interesting yeah, there. interesting stuff on intel do you want uh, to pivot to you had some thoughts on qualcomm and equinix do you want to yeah yeah no, actually uh, very high level uh qualcomm did bad as well i mean the quarter was as expected but market punished them pretty big time. Their stock was down eight nine percent next day, which their PE is around twelve or so. It's it's, it's very cheap stock right now, but the, the story is not sticking actually. The numbers were down as we expected. Client computing is down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make chips chips for cell phones a lot and and for auto as well. Um, so. That was Qualcomm. Both tough. I will I will do more sort of little deeper analysis in my weekly. Um, if I if I start covering here, it will, it will be a long segment here. So <laughs> okay. we'll touch, fair enough. 
<laughs> we'll touch upon like a high level. Equinix uh, did good actually. Um, but their stock was up um, after hours and next day as well. Um, the 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 need for Colo, as we know, that people are tightening their belt and there's a lot big. There's a lot of there's a lot more push from incumbent vendors to sort of hop onto that. Uh, narrative that cloud is expensive and let's do stuff close to where you are. Let's come back to data center. So I think they reaped some benefit of that, but it, it was not as great as I personally thought it will be. So that means that repatriation is still very um, sort of remote possibility, or it's it's not as big as some are making it. And on that note, yeah. um, I exchanged quite a few tweets about repatriation with um, Dave Vellante, Crawford from IDC, and many others um, were in the, these threads. And I'm a big cloud proponent, you know, very openly I say that that's a modern way of consuming compute. And it's industrialization of computing, I call it, right? So why will you go back, right? So, uh, mm -hmm. but still, yeah. Yeah. we will be hybrid for a long time. I, I, I never, like, you know. Oh, indefinitely, for sure. Yeah, one, one uh, stat, and I think this may have been a Gartner stat, I'd have to go back and look that I read a few months ago. Fully 50% of organiz organizations are looking at repatriation. That's a massive number. But the catch is only 10% of workloads actually get repatriated that have already been taken to the cloud. So what that means is that there is an inactive rebalancing going on. And most, most organizations are at least thinking about it on some level. But the number of workloads that actually go back, and I think there are a variety of reasons, you know, agility, they get used to the agility in the cloud, their developers become used to the cloud the level of effort to get it back on-prem. There are a lot of reasons that end up keeping them in in the cloud for one reason or another. So I, I, I think that's an interesting distinction to draw because the hybrid isn't going away. Most people will look at repatriating, but the number of workloads being repatriated for the time being at least seems to be relatively low. Yeah, I have I have problem with all these numbers. Uh, I. I and I say that, like, okay, when you say, when, when anybody says we'll be hybrid for a long time or forever, hybrid is a relative term, right? You can be 10% on-prem and 90% cloud or vice versa, right? It's like, no, no, we have to be more precise about, like, we will be, like, 60-40 or 70-30. Like, we have to do better analysis than just saying we'll be hybrid for a long time. I think that's one thing. And also, when people say that how many, what percentage of workload is moving, and then you have to look at the, if they're just looking at the application, number of applications, right? Okay, from 100 applications, let's say they say 50 moved. But if those 50 are like small applications or they are running on Windows XP or some old stuff, right? We know that some applications are very old. Dropbox have Legacy, gone. Legacy, yeah. Yeah, not so completed. not mission critical, and they don't take much bandwidth anyways. So it matters what those applications are. I think the the number we should look at is mainly spend. 
right? How much spend is being done in cloud versus on-prem? I think that is the right measure, uh, according to me. And and if your application is not cloud native, right? Of course, it will be more expensive there. By the way, why will you take a non-cloud native application to cloud? Because you want to build something next to it, which is based upon that application where the latency is very important to you. And because data, you need access to that data from that application. Most, most probably it's a system of record. You need that to cook up your system of engagement or system of innovation, right? So that's why people take um, these applications to the cloud. I mean, they are dumb. Seriously, they are not dumb when they move these applications. They're, the By the way, the 37 signals like started this debate this time. 37 signals brought this 15, 20 years old app application back, which they never touched. It's the same old application which they had. I mean, first of all, why did they move it to the cloud? I think for the same reasons what I, what I was talking about, maybe they wanted to build more functionality next to it, you know? But um, they, another another ironic point I make is, it's, very, it's, it's a very valid point, is like the fact that they were able to bring back that application with that much ease on-prem means they were not leveraging cloud. If That's they right. were leveraging cloud, it would, be, it would be a lot of work to untangle that from cloud. They were not cloud native. So yeah, bring it back. It's okay, you know, um, just take a pic. They took a picture with the, all these, Dell servers and you know it's a big deal right so yeah hmm. I would yeah and I hear what you're saying about spend being a better bellwether than you know uh how do we define hybrid the the notion of defining hybrid I think is fairly tidy at this point from the standpoint of at least one hyperscaler and then a solid data center footprint but I would say that looking at the spend is bedeviled by some of the same challenges as looking at the percentage of the workloads and reason being, not every workload is going to cost the same amount of money. And organizations don't tend to think about it that way. They'll budget for it that way. But in terms of the way they think about cloud footprint, if, you know, from a spend perspective, you have an oversized spend in a particular hyperscaler, but that it's because there's a mission critical application that has to be agile that's there. But they think of themselves, you know, mainly as a data center shop is a private cloud shop i you know i think i think all, all those lines get blurred fairly fairly quickly you know i had an insurance provider tell me you know if we move this particular application there is literally no amount of money that we could be that we could spend that would be too much to mm -hmm. keep this application resilient just because you know if something happened they're they're uh business is done yeah, they had to. They their their customers had to be able to file claims. If that went down, then you know, from a from a PR perspective, that would be a disaster. But they thought of themselves really, I'd say, more as a high like hybrid with a weighting toward the data center kind of kind of organization. But it's fascinating the the psychology of the what constitutes a true hybrid. Yeah, um, true. And another aspect is that that innovation in the pace of innovation happening in cloud versus on-prem technologies, right? I personally believe that that this pace of innovation happening in cloud is is much faster because it's concentrated and it's yeah. it's localized to these the three four vendors and this 
put a lot of money into the security side of things and scale their own specialized chips. On the other side, there are three providers on, on, on the on the cloud public cloud side, main, mainly three public cloud providers, right? But there are, there's a long tail there. But on the on-prem technology side, there are so many vendors, like a lot more. And it's it's a subcarry almost. <laughs> there are good good vendors, definitely. They they the NetApps of the world and the Dells of the world, they're good vendors, HPE, you know. Um, and there are some pure software vendors like VMware and Red Hat. Um, IBM is there. Um, uh, I, I spent a day with IBM storage folks here at, at uh, the Cube Studio. They're, they're doing innovation in those areas. But again, you bring in those heterogeneous technologies into your data center, and now you're trying to train people on technologies are, which are from, let's say, five or seven plus vendors, right? Just in infrastructure as a service world, right? Forget about, app, forget about applications and or even platforms. It becomes a little uh, complex uh, situation to manage. I think vendor management and vendor simplification is one of the top priority of CIOs um, all over the world. Yeah, the, and um, the issue the issue of, you know, skilling their people, because I think the extent to which innovation happens in the d- data center is is driven to some extent by how homogenized yeah. the data center footprint is. So if they've standardized, you know, a lot of organizations now are cloudifying their data centers where they essentially have a cloud that they've built internally. And so you can consume things as a service. And so it's doing away with some of the challenges of, uh, oh, you have this person over here who wants this really odd configuration. Well, guess what? Our cloud doesn't offer it now. And so it does make the organization uh, more nimble. But at the end of the day, it takes a ton of effort to get there. And so I think kind of bringing it back to some of our earlier central points, the public cloud you know, it's, it's, it's the more things change, the more they seem stay the same. It's that classic build versus buy that we've seen in tech forever on, on different levels. I think if you have somebody who's already built the cloud for you, you, you can just walk in. There's a, there's a cost attached to that because they've built it for you, but at least you don't have to invest the energy to, to do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and within, within cloud, there are, variations between AWS and Azure and Google Cloud, right? So one is like a Lego Lego shop, one is a toy shop, you know? The twos are two are toy shops and one is a Lego shop. Like you get the Legos and make your own toys, right? That's Amazon, right? So there are there are so diff- differences and yeah. It, it's a fascinating world. I mean to to be honest with you, I think people will consume these technologies based on their needs and and their leadership styles and their cultures of their companies and the risk taking ability like ability to take risk you know like at rackspace i i, I was my team was in charge of the pitch deck uh, we were advisory services and we were taking care of the top 10 customers right and our partners and and it was, it was good stuff so the one slide we have John and Gates, our CTO, was a good friend of mine, and we 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 were cooking up these slides jointly, right? 
One slide was that a unit of cloud is more expensive than a unit of on-prem, same unit of on-prem, you know, compute. We had that, even though we were selling cloud. We told people it is, but we also told them why and when it become it, cloud will, will become cheaper with time and with the right architecture, it will become cheaper. It's not cheaper to start with. No, definitely not. If you go to cloud mm-hmm. to save money, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Seriously, in the beginning, if you if you say that you will save money by going to cloud, you do not know what you're doing. So that's I usually say. But in the long term, that is true because you will cook up stuff fast. You will outpace your competitors in innovation. That way, you will do more business um, cheaper, faster, and they will be left behind. It's like Kodak versus you know, uh, who's making best cameras these days? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. That's a that's a disruptive, you know, uh, conversation there. You know, in itself, given that Kodak actually developed the technology that today's today drives digital photography, and then they sat on it, and here yeah. we are. <laughs> they missed so, it. They yeah. invented the digital camera, but they couldn't leverage that. Sometimes yeah. that happens. As a as an interesting pivot, you mentioned Rackspace. Uh, you know, there is a no, a news story that I uh, was going to mention at some point, but you know, it was released this this morning. I think uh, you know, certainly on you, Yahoo News, that uh, Rackspace is going to build a full stack solution for generative AI model building with Dell, and um, you know, it's going to be a fully hosted solution. And so, you know, essentially, they'll give you the building blocks. I thought that was uh, kind of interesting and maybe some of the approaches to generative AI, you know, maybe that's something that we could use as a pivot moving into our next topic. I I had dinner with Rackspace, uh, new Rackspace CEO, like about a couple of months back here in Palo Alto. They, They do want to, I mean, shouldn't say desperately, they do want to revive the company, right? It was one of the best, um, we open sourced OpenStack, you know, and c- company got like recognition in the B2B world. It, they were hosting company as just like kind of GoDaddy-ish company, right? But then they became like this enterprise company and we acquired a few companies during that time. Our stock was improving big time. We were number two cloud for for some time. After Amazon, we were considered number two. Um, but then... You know, Azure was not there at all. Zero, no presence of Azure at that point. And Google had uh, their um, Google uh, App Engine, which was purely lock-in, and and uh, any serious developer will not like that, writing to somebody's API and getting locked all all the way in. But they they rectified that after a few years. But anyways, long story short, they have Chops and and uh, Rackspace and Dell have. Traditionally, or in, from the past, they have worked very closely. I know Rob Hirschfeld used to work with us uh, from Dell. He was building Crowbar for um, automation deployment of infrastructure based upon OpenStack and deep in trenches, writing code and all that stuff. Good crowd there because they're very, the proximity is there as well, San Antonio to Austin. Right. And there's a big Austin office um, from Rackspace side. A lot of engineers sort of go back and forth. Uh, I, I think they can do something together, and they should. 
um, I, I want Rackspace to succeed mainly because I have a lot of friends working there. <laughs> we call them Rackers. The Rackers. Um, yeah. It was great yeah. tenure there. Awesome people, Texans. Um, they're like Excellent. they're like Punjabis. I'm from Punjab, India. Farmers, right? They they they. I felt like I was in Punjab. Like they were. Like, Let's go home, and you know, you treat you like you're part of the family, and it was That's cool. awesome. Yeah, I miss those days. Okay, coming okay. Talk, coming back to earnings, we which we are um we made run out of time. Um, Amazon, we can't ignore that. Amazon reported earnings, and it was better than expect, expected. Twelve percent growth in cloud, um, and the stock popped, and happy days are back. You know, we thought they will fall to single digit in cloud, right? But they did twelve percent. And things are improving. Things are sta stabilizing, um, as uh, Andy said. And um, by the way, Andy, Andy's remarks in the conference call were ditto copy of what he discussed with John Ford of CNBC on his interview. Actually, John Ford did an interview with uh, Andy Jassy uh, about three weeks, three to four weeks before the earnings. But it was just same things he, what he said um, in that call um, that how they are approaching it and they're taking their time to serve the AI market. They're not rushing in. They think it's the, the other people, you know, we know what who the other people are. They have like a lot more fluff or, or it's very like a shiny object, but, but practicality of these models has to come from the proprietary data these businesses have right so i will let you uh take this in, into ai discussion and we can compare and contrast to yeah absolutely okay yeah i'm glad you you brought that up for one one thing that i think is interesting as we continue and look at the jockeying of the the big three csps is that i do think generative ai will have a meaningful bearing on their footprints. I think they recognize that they wouldn't put the kind of energy and money that they're, you know, a hundred million dollars from Amazon in terms of a public commitment, what they're planning on pouring into generative AI, pretty, pretty staggering. I think it was, was it, uh, Adam Slipsky, uh, who, who said, you know, the AWS CEO that, you know, when you think about a race, they are three steps into this generative AI race. And so there's this sense this prevailing sense, I almost felt like Amazon's admitting it a little bit that Microsoft and Google, to your point, were a little faster out of the gate with some solutions from a generative AI perspective, but they're, they're playing the long game because does anybody remember the first three steps of a 10K race once you get to the 9K mark? And uh, the answer is no, not really. I think that's an interesting analogy on the other hand you know first out of the gate you know in a horse race and things like that a lot of people from a superstitious perspective view that as meaningful so i don't you know think it's think it's nothing uh but i hear what they're saying too that this is this is a long game and there will be a a rebalancing of the market eventually and i think that will give us what we're what we're dealing with uh moving forward so uh, from a generative AI perspective, what Amazon's doing. So, of course, Bedrock, which we mentioned last time, is um, a serverless solution 
uh, that they're continuing to expand on. So um, they'll, uh, you know, they're bringing in some new models that they'll be able to support. One thing that I thought was really interesting from a monitoring perspective is the issue of agents. So they did, uh, they did mention that uh, potentially your applications built on bedrock with generative AI could be agented, agented so you could watch behavior. Um, you know, historically from an enterprise perspective, there's sort of an allergic reaction to agents, but I can also see a case in which that would be um, useful. Uh, so QuickSight, they mentioned some stuff from a QuickSight perspective. So, you know, embedded analytics, and they had a couple other things. My overall takeaway, you know, aside from some of the uh, extra compute from an EC2 perspective that they're going to release for um, improved graphics performance with uh, NVIDIA, is is that my my gut suspicion is that they're going to verticalize. And we were talking about this before we started recording, but they they just came out with HealthScribe. And I wonder, and this is pure speculation, if they're going to start trying to come out with model foundations for industry. So like financials, yeah. FSI would be another. Manufacturing, that would be another. You know, is that going to be their unique sauce or play? Super, super early to say, but they're there has to be quite a bit of thought that's going into this. Um, and while they mentioned those, you know, seven big points in New York, and I don't, I think, I think they're significant. It seems like they're holding the reins pretty closely right now. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I, I made the notes on, uh, on the, on the New York uh, summit uh, announcements from Swami this was the first time Amazon came out and spoke very like openly about what how they want to approach uh, generative AI. They were like they most of the time they kept like mom. They didn't say anything. They'll just like, don't say anything, right? Sort of eerie. So, yeah. They, they, like we were people were like getting like why they are not saying anything, right? So um, yeah, these these they announced generate uh, the um, bedrock actually you know, a couple of months back, but they, after that they said nothing. But Swami's announcements were were um, again they they still seem timid uh, against what Microsoft and Google are doing because um, they they have thrown heavy punches, if you will. So Swami announced seven things, right? Uh, as you covered some of those, uh, I don't want to mislabel those. So I'm going to look at my notes here to, to my right, left side here. The one is the bedrock will, will bring in new models from Anthropic, Stability AI, and Cohere. Cohere will bring two flagship models. Uh, one is called Command. It's a text generation model. And the other one is called Cohere Embed. Um, it's a multilingual text understanding uh, model. Actually, that's the that's a command model. So Anthropic will bring the cloud, cloud, C-L-A-U-D-E, two, cloud two model. And uh, Stability AI will bring the, their stable diffusion SDXL 1.0. And um, agents for Amazon Bedrock, I, I think that makes perfect sense. This is not the agent what we are afraid of from the past. Every machine has an agent running on it, or we don't know what it's collecting and all that stuff. This is agent is next sitting next to data, right? And then it is training these 
large language models, it's actually creating a layer on top of the knowledge, which is already in the, in the uh, large language models. On top of that is layering that. So it is uh, um, creating kind of specialized models. I, during my discussion with John Furrier and Dave Vellante, uh, during uh, SuperCloud 3 discussions, we talked about AI a lot. And I believe that we will have industry models there will be some will be vertical just for insurance insurance industry how do you detect fraud in insurance industry i mean it's a very unique problem so i used to work at visa so how do you stop fraud in credit card industry that's the unique problem but there are some horizontal problems as well so there'll be horizontal models like security model like how, how you stop ddos attack like everybody needs it so we will have those and we have vertical um uh, sort of uh, models as well. So we'll have a, it, it will be more like a, during that discussion actually, at, at some point I said, let's think of models as an employee or a very smart employee, right? So they're trained in a certain thing. They have studied something for too long. You know, like some people are very genetic, some degrees are very genetic when we study and some degrees are very like scientific in nature, you know? And um, another thing is uh, about a whole AI thing is that another thing I said was that we will not take the generative AI anywhere near our systems of record because systems of record are very close to what regulators look at. And there are numbers involved. And, and these generative AI um, solutions are so bad with math. That, that's is. not, yeah, that's not somewhere where you want to get creative with the data. That's not <laughs> yes. somewhere we want to get creative. So, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're you saying. You don't want to get creative with how much tax you paid or how <laughs> much uh, money you make and, you know, how much you're reporting to, you know, to the market. So, yeah, you want to keep it away from system or record for some time at least, for for maybe a long time. But for systems of innovation and systems of engagement, yeah. you want to uh, apply these things. And the third thing was the vector engine, yeah, vector engine support. You know, everybody has a vector database, and and that's how actually we, we are taming AI, right? So alignment of AI happens through the vector databases. And what we do is we store all these things what we AI what we want AI not to do, because AI, if you will, generative AI knows a lot more than what we wanted to tell us what it knows. Um, yep, other things are, I think, small, generative business intelligence, you know, generative BI, they call it, right? And, um, oh, by the way, number five announcement was they, I think that's a SaaS offering, which they need to get into, I believe. So that was HealthScribe. They may label it pass, you know, because API-based stuff, but it's vertical, as you said, they're getting into vertical healthcare scribe. Um, uh, it's for, you know, I think, uh, oh, God, I'm losing this term again. Um, the health tech companies can use it as well as the end users, like hospitals and, and, and bigger, bigger. Yeah. Care providers. It looks like clinicians is in particular who they're targeting that'll help as they're brainstorming about what exactly did the patient tell me, you know, what did they describe and will help start 
spinning out that story. And then that's something potentially that you could save as a record in the EHR system, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is actually. Yeah. And we, we all have doctors. We all, all go to doctors and we go there. I have two doctors in my family, right? So, and they are freaking crying almost every time, like I see them. And they are late to the parties. You know why? Because one of them is very late all the time. Because he does, my brother-in-law, so he does charts at home. They call charts, right? So he, t he hand writes the notes. He studied in India. So in India, they don't teach us typing. Uh, and... and uh, his wife complains about it, you know, like, why can't he do it over there? He's actually the patient. He's a good doctor, actually. Um, so the doctors actually do 70, 80% of the time. They are just bogged down with the technology. And with 20 to 30% of the time, they're really actually listening to the patient, um, which is, it should be the other way around. So this hopefully this fixes it. And the number six um, announcement was, I think this improves the compute optics, I call it, you know. I try to come up with these catchy phrases. This improves AWS's compute optics. Um, they they said they will bring in NVIDIA H100 uh, GPUs uh, into few instances. Like they were very particular about highlighting their own chips, right? In Frenchia and and um, uh, Graviton, because they they think it's cheaper in France and training by using Amazon's native chips. But this time, I think they did the right thing. The NVIDIA and um, AI, generative AI, you know, they, when you talk about generative AI, you, you think about NVIDIA, right? So I think it will help them um, get some sort of, uh, it will give people some peace of mind that, hey, if I go to AWS, I can get to, uh, NVIDIA X100s, right? So yeah, the P the P4, uh, you know, was due for an upgrade anyway, and so you know the discussion of the P5 is interesting in part because I think they're taking they're very smartly being uh, opportunistic about it in thinking about large language models. Um, so I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, Capacity will be will be interesting because even even the cloud providers, you know, some folks say, you know, in the cloud, oh, we don't have to worry about capacity constraints anymore because it's the cloud. Well, guess what? They have to deal with it too. And so, you know, I've I've seen I've seen customers of the the CSP struggle in their region to get access to the compute that they need. For, for whatever reason, just because they deal with the same constraints that everybody else does. They have a lot of power to wield. And so typically they'll be some of the first to get that resolved. But, uh, you know, yeah. the, the H100 shortages, it'll be interesting to see how that how that comes to bear here. It, it may not just because Amazon's sort of the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah, actually, having worked with two cloud providers, I can, I can attest that because we never disclosed what capacity we run at, you know, like, you know, in your data centers, people know that we're running at 80% capacity or 70, you know, in certain areas. So like no cloud provider will tell you they are running at 80% or 70, you know, they just keep that secret. Right. Yeah. But themselves. their account teams have to disclose if they can't get something for a customer. So that's when they find out is, Oh, you want, you know, whatever instance in central two, you know, sometimes it's those, you yeah, know, then secondary, you find out. and then you find out, which can be tough. Yeah, 
Definitely. Then you find out. But another another aspect of uh, cloud, a lot of people maybe don't dig deeper enough into is uh, is that the proximity of workloads, right? So if you're trying to get the workloads very close to the racks you are already in, because you are running fiber between those, and you know the, the latency matters by even milliseconds, right? To you, then it becomes a problem. And what cloud providers do is for those kind of customers, like if you're Goldman Sachs, like you know that you have n number of racks empty next to your freaking big footprint in all regions, so you can expand there. Bigger the hammer, more you bend, and bigger the hammer, more extra capacity they will get there. Um, that, that's how it works. Um, another, actually, that's that's a great point. A capacity point is a great point, and. The last point, the number seven announcement was that AWS is offering new free and low cost. I kind of hated that term, free and low cost. Oh, and like, how much is free and how much is low cost? And what does low cost mean? So, anyways, they are providing that training to on generative AI to to folks. And I usually say, uh, I, I usually talk about a um, term I have put out there: skills gravity. Just like data has gravity, skills have gravity as well. So if you can train practitioners on your technology, uh, if you can train more practitioners easily, uh, if they can get hands on to your technology faster, cheaper, you know, uh, anywhere, right? Which, which cloud actually allows you to do that, then your technology will be used. It's in, the incumbent. Yep. That's, that's an awfully difficult seat to unset once it's once it's uh, embedded in the organization, for sure. Yeah. So. Another catchy phrase, I when, once I take a topic, I just think about it like to the nth degree. And, it's like, and then I came up with this one line. It's like, to outcompete your competition, you have to out-educate the market. Seriously, if you think deeply about it, you have to out-educate the market to outcompete your competitors. Uh, there's no ifs or buts about it. I like so. it. Yeah. Which is why Google is throwing so much energy into the certifications that they're pretty much flooding the market with because they they want to capture some of that. I think that's really fair. Uh, I've got a I've got another one liner for you, or maybe a catchphrase, given what we were describing that maybe there's going to be this verticalization of models and then the horizontal. You know, based on the business case or the use case, it's sort of a plaid ap approach to generative AI because we have the vertical, yeah. you know, orientation. And then of course the, hor the horizontal orientation. So I'm, I'm going to call it a plaid approach to generative AI. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. It's like both, both ways, right? Vertical right. And horizontal. So, yeah, actually these things actually um, may sound cheesy, but they, they help us make a point with fewer words and people, get it sometimes many times analogies analogies work you know like we we create a parallel from what we are very familiar with and say hey yeah that makes sense like there's there's no no fabric without uh having vertical and horizontal lines all sure. uh, right so that was a ws or amazon like mainly or that was that's huge yeah. um i have quite a few things i will i will really breeze through a couple of things here um one of my my key areas which I think about all the time is I'm economics major. Most of people know that out there who, who know me. Um, and I fell into technology in 94 and, and just did technology, technology, technology. But but 
and deep down i have that sort of you know still an economist's on, heart timer yep. going on here yeah. <laughs> like uh, you have to pay attention to this too hank paulson and timothy gartner um they appeared on uh free zakaria's show and they, they touched upon the, the chips ban on china and actually deep down i think it's a wrong thing to do i think we are using national security card to just twist the arm of china to get better deal out of them for on on trade front and i think that's a wrong approach uh, it's a very cheesy approach and this goes against the, the fundamentals what us stands for free markets mm-hmm. and protection protectionism never actually is good for your your country's industry it never works um so that's a, what one of my sort of gripes with the policy right now the another thing uh was fitch downgraded us yes uh, and and actually just now um 10 banks were downgraded by moody's and they have put some other banks on on alert today um we are recording it on tuesday guys and you can tell now um so uh that's interesting um it's a warning for for us to to get its house in order if you will we're spending mm-hmm. too much money you know making less money as nation if you will and we're under debt you know so the last, yeah the last time that happened was 2011 and we were coming out of the recession and things were looking positive but the market swooned right around that time period and and so you know, I think there some of the concerns about, you know, the dreaded R word recession have been delayed to some extent, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I think everybody recognizes that. So it'll be interesting to see because I don't think it's going to be a straight path in any direction down or up. Yeah. Uh, I think we're in for some real volatility. Yeah, I, I personally, I think if it doesn't get if it doesn't stay this way or doesn't get better quick then it will get really worse i mean like knowing what i know about the the psychology of the markets and economics and the rates keep if if we have to keep the rates high for long we have to pay our debt right so we government has also they have the same rates like they are not getting money at you know one percent and then we are getting at seven or five percent bank to bank rate right so yeah it will come back bite us and uh yeah, it's and from a technology yeah. perspective, we can't ignore that either. <laughs> we have a risk of being a little dour. You know, a lot of these companies who are who are starting generative AI initiatives, the how expensive capital is to get your hands on is gonna have a bearing on how quickly companies can innovate. Because if you're gonna finance some of it, that's you know, and it's expensive to do right now, or at least comparatively speaking where we came from you know i think i think that's going to be a bigger factor than just the innovate 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 drive that a lot yeah. of people seem to feel that frenetic push I mean, to be honest with you that's why that's why the cloud demand has gone down because cloud demand was mainly the, the core demand from public cloud was mainly for experimentation mm-hmm. number one and then the systems of um, engagement and then the system of record, the last thing which moved there, right? Or which you should move there. So um, it, it it shows and 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 keeping that in mind, if that happens, if the rates are if the money is expensive for a long time, then only few companies can afford 
to spend money. So concentration happens. And I I have said this many times that every economic jolt leaves the rich richer and poor poorer. Because during tough times, only people who can borrow more or spend more are the ones who are rich, who already have a good credit, right? So the credit of the normal poor people, right? It goes worse, right? Um, yeah. so they can't they can't get any more any more money because in bad times everybody say everybody knows that you should buy property in bad times but oh i can't because my credit is bad i don't have income but if you if you have money in the bank then you of course you will buy it so you will become richer who's already rich and poor will become poorer so so i think policymakers need to pay attention to that and th- there should be some deferred policy for people who have more money they get different rate than people who have less money but that's a uh, maybe socialism talk i guess um <laughs> subject right. for another day <laughs> we both have an interest in that direction way, so this is, i have a feeling we'll be veering off hopefully our listeners will bear with us as we veer off into some of these bigger meaning of life questions because i think both of us think yeah in both, in, actually, on both planes both the, the technological but what it means for life at large so true. To our viewers, actually, please tell us if we are very verbose or we need to cut down or we need to talk less or you guys are liking it or not. Please let us know. Um, we will really appreciate that. And our goal again and again is to give you the pointers and give you some commentary. Sometimes we're giving too much commentary here, but that's I think we can ask your nerdy, geeky people about it. we care deep, deeply about these topics. Maybe that's why. Uh, we'll give you pointers and links in the show notes so you can click on those links and get more information and Google the right terms and and find out what what's happening in the B2B tech world. Um, I think with that said, um, I wanted to mention like very quick mentions uh, for people to look um, if they want to follow these things. India mandated licenses for laptops and tablets. That's one news was crossing the wire um, in the last uh, 10, 12 days. AWS is going to invest 7.2 billion in Israel. Google reshuffled their um, seven years old called assistant unit. So it's like AI unit. So they reshuffled that. Uh, and by the way, Google's CFO um, got a new role. They, they're looking for a new CFO, I assume. And um, Matt, Matt Garman spoke to John Furrier, Matt Gurman is AWS uh, exec, and he said we are open to hosting uh, models from OpenAI. So that was another interesting sort of statement or news. But we know that, you know, uh, how close OpenAI is with with Microsoft and will they even take their models to Amazon? Will they host it there? I think they should because having open in the company name doesn't make you open and Sam Altman always brags about that we are open we are open even though Microsoft has invested a lot of money but they're not really <laughs> one open. of the least open companies <laughs> yeah but we have open in the name yeah yeah the funny joke actually there was a Punjabi Indian skit like I, I I tweeted that a lot of people liked it so I said they are MBA you know there was a funny skit a comedy skit on Indian TV this one guy comes and says, I'm MBA. Like, he's not like, you can tell, like, they were like a, you know, loony Texan walking around. Oh, I'm MBA. So, you're MBA? Like, we dressed up like this. Say, 
I'm I'm married but available. I said this open AI guys are married but available. So that's what they say. They're married with Microsoft and they're telling everybody, hey, we're available, we're available. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that. People know I that. I like you're that married. analogy. That is that is how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> Pay no attention to the you know, the investor behind the curtain. It's really yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can't hide certain things. Um so uh, yeah, I think that that I have gone through all my notes and uh, yes. Anything last? Any last things you want to mention yep. there? I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna blurt a couple. Uh, the Microsoft Active Directory hack. You know, alluded okay. to that quickly. CISA gave Microsoft sort of a public slow clap. What I would call a slow clap uh, because they've decided to open their cloud security logging for free starting in September. So. That'll be interesting to continue to watch. I think that's a big deal. That's a sort of an admission, a tacit admission there that all things are not as they should be. Uh, the the Tesla jailbreak hack with the uh, the professor and a couple of students in Germany uh, who you know were able to exploit using voltage the 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 um, the circuit in the processor inside the media unit in a, in Tesla's essentially to uh hack the encryption pro you know the encryption key that would give access to paid features so that one will be interesting to continue to follow and then of course we were laughing about this one uh that zoom is calling remote workers back to the office oh zoom yes (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a funny headlines but i think I, I don't blame Zoom. Zoom is just yeah. like another company, you know, so well, they're great you people. Know, yeah, like we were saying, all things in moderation. I mean, there's an extent to which, you know, you've got you've to gotta maintain balance in an organization. I just, it's one of those headlines that pops up every once in a while and you have to giggle just a little bit. Yeah, the funny thing about Zoom, not funny thing, interesting thing about Zoom and, and, and my career I brought Zoom to Oracle Cloud. There were about 10 people when we were desperately looking for more partners to join our Oracle Cloud Marketplace, right? And then uh, I brought in about 60 partners to our exchange within like four months. I, I had I was in charge of that program to bring people in and onboard them onto our marketplace. And I, Zoom was one of them. I met them, with them a few times and they are one of the biggest customers Oracle Cloud has. So interesting. So, uh, Zoom is a good team that the, the founder came from, Cisco. Um, yeah, I think they will they will do just fine. I think it's just unfortunate that some other companies can give free, you know, uh, ways to for people to meet. And it's hard to compete with free and, and some other companies own the operating system, mm-hmm. own the cloud, own like, you know, and then this one company is trying to do a couple of things and it, it's just hard. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they've got new features in beta. You know, I think they're going to start targeting the consumer market a little more as my read with some of those features with, you know, shorts that you can send out and disseminate either personally or professionally. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yep. And another thing which I find from what, what we usually most of the time say, Cheaper, better, faster, cheaper, better, faster. That's what technology is all about. But I have added, I have promised myself, I'll remind myself time and again that I need to add securer as well. Cheaper, better, faster, securer. 
cheaper, better, faster, scarier. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to get there because security is paramount and going forward for us to survive in this digital world. And with that, thanks to all for listening. Thanks, Sarah, for joining me today again. We'll talk to you all in two weeks. Yep, two weeks. Two weeks.